We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Spike Week, presented by rotogrinders.com. As always, I am your host, Eric Bimefor. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Bimefor, formerly known in the ship chasing chat as Eric Bimefor. Eric Bimefor. That's pretty funny. People really do have a lot of trouble with my last name. It's a difficult, it's a difficult one. I've dealt with it my whole life. I'm, I'm really, it's really been tough. But anyway, today I want to talk about something. So a lot of, a lot of things that I kind of start to talk about on these. First of all, I really like to freestyle. I don't really, you see notes here if you're watching on YouTube, like I kind of put this together just as talking points, but I really, I really like to freestyle. I think it's a, a little bit better, but that also comes from the fact that I am kind of, and I think everybody should develop your your kind of thoughts as you work through drafts. Like I came into the draft season, like I started drafting in May, which some of you probably think is is crazy. I am a sicko, but I started drafting in May, and like my thoughts and like the way I wanted to attack drafts was vastly different than it is now, and the only way. The only way to kind of, I talked about this on the last episode, the only way to really figure out the best way to attack drafts and the best way to kind of adapt to each draft or, you know, even the different sites. There's a lot of nuance to all this, right? ADPs are different on underdog versus DraftKings. The scoring is different. Um, you know, the format is different just like how many players you're drafting, right? The competition level is different. It's different if you're drafting right now on underdog, if you've drafted in Best Ball Mania 2 compared to what they just released, the Puppy, those are different drafts. And so you just have to, in my opinion, work through some of this stuff to start to have you know, your, your beliefs and the things you think are the most advantageous to do in draft really start to kind of come to fruition in your mind. And something that has really come to fruition for me this year that I don't think I necessarily have always used, and I, I, I know for a fact I haven't always used, like especially looking at some of my early drafts, is just the power, the power and the um, 
you know, kind of what I believe to be the upside and the expected value of two quarterback, two tight end teams. So drafting only two quarterbacks, drafting only two tight end teams. And how just how powerful I think those drafts can be and how having more of them in your portfolio, say, than the field, having a higher percentage of these two quarterback, two tight end teams then maybe you even feel comfortable with, I think is a really high value way to go about this draft season. And like the first, the first thing is just, is really just an upside case. If you guys have listened to me or followed me um, on Twitter or on Rotor Grinders, you know, generally that I play to a lot more upside scenarios like in my in my specific player selection, like even on teams, maybe that other people wouldn't do it, right? So last night I did a live stream of a draft on Twitter where I was just drafting in the puppy. I was going to record this podcast actually last night. Underdog released the puppy, their $5 contest, which if you haven't signed up for Underdog, make sure to use promo code GRINDERS for a free Best Ball Mania 2, free $25 on Underdog. If you're listening, you probably already signed up, probably already taken some of my money in some of these drafts. But anyway, did a draft last night in the puppy that I drafted towards the back end of the first round. I decided to try to see, um, it was as usual, running back heavy draft early. And I, I started to see what a zero running back team would look like. I think I took Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins or some, something like that. And the draft started to play out where zero run, like full blown zero running back, like way more zero running back. I think even than like some zero running back people would, would uh, be comfortable with started to play out for me. Like running backs were just not people were the, I, I talk about, I've talked about it a bunch now in the last 24 hours, the running back thirst, in drafts is real. And last night in this draft that I was in was even more real. But part of what helped me, you know, feel comfortable with some of these things is I'm always thinking about what the goal of my teams are. And it's to win a million dollars, right? Or in the puppy to win 250, whatever it is, $100,000. Fifty thousand dollars. You know, I'm trying to win first in these, and so I always come back to playing to upside scenarios. So, like I said, I, I drafted a team that I think had, you know, ha- it had quite frankly a very low floor. My running backs, like if you thought about it right now in week one, they were real bad. <laughs> it's a lot of backups, and I'm not going to be getting a lot of running back points. But I think I was drafting mostly around the idea of upside, and I do that probably more than the average person does, right? I take Tony Pollard and Latavius Murray and Daryl Henderson and my poster boy, Darrington Evans, um, and, and some of these guys that other people take a little bit less because they want a little bit more of the floor plays and I'm comfortable targeting the upside. And so this two QB, two tight end concept just like presents more upside than really any other build I think you can do like the the core the the baseline of two QB and two tight end just presents you with so much more upside 
than like really any other build. And it just comes down to the fact of those positions are, you know, we call onesie positions. You only need one quarterback. You only need one tight end every week for the entire season. And so dedicating any more than two roster spots to that takes away like just from like a strict, like, I don't even want to say math perspective, but just logically, right? I have two, two quarterbacks to fill one position. If I'm right about those quarterbacks, the third one who was going to in turn be the worst one is like, I'm not using his points very often. And when I am using his points, it's gaining me very little because I have assumed that I hit on at least one of these two quarterbacks that I've drafted. And those quarterback points are so replaceable that I, that third guy, like what good is that third guy doing me, right? A spike week from a, from a ninth or 10th wide receiver and a spike week from a, a late round running back or a spike season from a late round running back provides me with so much more value because I can use that at multiple different positions, right? Running back, a running back can be used in two running back spots and a flex. A wide receiver spike can be used in three wide receiver spots or a flex. And there's not this floor of points at quarterback like I have with my, like even your bad quarterbacks are scoring typically double digit points every week. I went into some quarterback stuff a while back just how replete when I talked about stacking without quarterbacks, but just how replaceable those quarterback points are. So how, what's the best way to leverage the fact that it's replaceable position and I can't gain that many points with a third one to only take two tight end. We know like is a, a incredibly weak position. You have a few superstars that separate themselves. It's obviously valuable to get those guys. Just the general concept of two tight ends. Again, it's the same, it's basically the same thing as quarterback, except a little, you know, less replaceable points. But if I assume that I got tight end right, if I assume I got my two tight ends right, they're having good seasons. That third one is very rarely coming into my lineup. And even when he does, that third one is not providing me that many points that I wasn't getting before. If I was right about those two tight ends that I've already drafted. So that third one is just not gaining me very much. And so, you know, people might argue, well, that late round running back or tight end isn't gaining you that much either. He has a lot of other players at that position on your team. That could be true. That could be true but you have so many more spots to use that player at, right? And late, a late round tight end or quarterback just quite frankly doesn't have the ceiling that a late round, definitely not a late round running back. And from a spike, a usable spike perspective, doesn't really have the upside of a late round wide receiver, even as weak as the wide receiver core is right now, right? Deshaun Jackson is going in the 18th, 17th or 18th round. Say whatever you want about what you think the Rams are going to do and what Deshaun Jackson's role is. We know a Deshaun spike is going to be a super powerful thing in your lineup. A Chris Herndon, who you're seeing on your screen right now, if you're watching on YouTube, 
like and subscribe to Roto Grinders Daily Fantasy Sports YouTube page. A Chris Herndon spike. Mm-hmm. Not as much. It's just the market is just more efficient on these these positions because there's just only so many and you only need to use one. And so they have this upside. But what I when I was first kind of starting to talk about this concept at the beginning of draft season, like if you got Travis Kelsey, it's just I uh, I've all you know if you got Travis Kelsey, if you got Dak Prescott, whatever. I was always just drafting the two at that position. That's like the consensus, right? That's the chalk answer. If you get an elite player at, at one of the onesie positions, you naturally only need to take two of them. And so I agreed with that. I've always kind of thought that. However, I think there's a lot more room to get uncomfortable at those positions. And here's what I mean by getting uncomfortable. You can be right a low percentage of the time with lesser priced players at these positions. But we still want to capitalize on when we are right. Take Chris Herndon, for example. Maybe not the best example, but I like to use him because I've drafted him way too much. I'll use, we can even use somebody else because Chris Herndon may may actually not be the best example. Trey Lance. I'm drafting Trey Lance a lot. I don't think anyone is really arguing that Trey Lance has a lot of upside, but let's say you, you miss out on on these elite quarterbacks. I think it's somewhat uh, understood that up through like Justin Herbert is this elite tier of, of quarterbacks. Some might take it a little bit further, but I think that's generally a tier a tier where people feel good about these elite quarterbacks. But if you get Trey Lance, you get Justin Fields, you get Trevor Lawrence. You've drafted this person. Like, let's say, you know, that's your QB one. The draft broke a certain way and you have Trey Lance as your QB one. Drafting for fear of being wrong about Trey Lance, right? Whether it's him starting, you know, you're, oh man, I'm worried about Trey Lance starting week one. Well, you know, if you're worried about an extended stretch of not of not getting Trey Lance points, you might he might not be for you. Because you have to get a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that there's uncertainty around that guy and his you know, the ceiling is there, but I I don't feel super comfortable with just him and one other guy on my team. But the benefits to Having only two when you hit on that player are like huge, right? If you're right about Trey Lance, or let's use, even if Trey Lance and Justin Fields are the tougher examples because we don't know if they're going to start week one or how long it'll take for them to start. But Trevor Lawrence, and Trevor Lawrence is starting to fall. If Trevor Lawrence, if you're right about Trevor Lawrence, and he does catapult himself up closer to this top tier of quarterbacks, you're not going to want Ben Roethlisberger on your team with a late round pick. You're not going to want Sam Darnold or Carson Wentz or even like Matt Ryan or whatever as a third quarterback. You know, 
whoever you take as your second quarterback. I'm not, I'm not shilling for one, one quarterback. I, I think that would be overkill. But if you're right about that guy, and let's say you take, I, I really like to take two rookies, but, but I think you can even push it. I think you can get uncomfortable. And I think we should embrace this uncomfortability of, especially at quarterback, taking two. Now, there does get to be a certain point where, like, if you really, really punt quarterback, like really punt, right? Like you are drafting, and this has happened to me before, you're drafting Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones and Jameis Winston or whatever. I, th- I think taking, th- that that's kind of where it might be too much to take two, but even then, I think there are reasons to be willing to accept this punt quarterback and you take Carson Wentz and you take Sam Darnold and you just say, these guys are going to get me close enough and I'm going to win all the other positions because I spent the least capital on quarterback. And these guys are, these guys are going to exceed expectations and I'm going to get close enough, right? They, they may not have the upside to match those guys. The, these rookies and these runners probably do, but you know, I draft, Carson Wentz and Sam Darnold, and they're going to exceed expectations. I'm going to come close enough that the upside of just having those two and using the other resource on a spot that allows you to win every other position is huge. When you combine it now with tight end, this is, I think, where people get even because they, 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 they really feel uncomfortable and they're really not willing to embrace that uncomfortability is tight end is really weak. And when you wait too long on tight end, you'll often hear taking an elite tight end allows you to only take two. It's kind of a the, the common way most think about it. And it's how I've thought about it for quite a while. It was probably, it was definitely how I thought about it early, early in draft season. But I think we should embrace a little bit more low you know, low, per, you know, low percentile outcomes. We should embrace the fact that pairing Anthony Ferkser and Cole Komet as my only two tight ends, more often than not, a high percentage of the time, I'm like probably losing points at tight end. But if I'm right, if they hit, taking Austin Hooper doesn't get you anywhere, right? Yes, a few weeks out of the season, Austin Hooper is going to get his 10 to 15 points, and you're going to use that score and pick up a couple of points. But if you're using Austin Hooper's score too much, the team is probably in trouble already, at least at tight end. And so like, we just have to accept the fact that it's going to be wrong sometimes. Right, you draft Anthony Ferkser and you draft Cole Komet, and it's like, yeah, maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe they do suck, and and you lose points at tight end. But in the scenarios where you're two tight ends, even the ones that make you feel uncomfortable, in the scenario where they hit, right, you found Darren Waller. You found the new Darren Waller, right? For me, Mo Ali Cox becomes Darren Waller. The tight end that we didn't, you know, is a good player and all of a sudden starts drawing all these targets, right? Delaney Walker says Anthony Ferkser is a stud. Maybe he is. 
Maybe Derrick Henry goes down and the Titans become really pat. They're passing 65% of the time. And Ferkser is an elite tight end. Like no one's projecting that. And it's probably not going to happen. But if it does, I, I don't want to waste that spot on Austin Hooper in my team when I could use that Austin Hooper spot to now crush my opponents at another position, right? If Anthony Ferkser in the very low probability outcome that Anthony Ferkser matches these elite tight ends, the value in that is huge. And so then I want to take that value and compound on it and capitalize on the variance that just occurred and swung in my in my favor, right? No one is projecting that. Like I like Cole Komet. Maybe Cole Komet becomes an elite tight end, right? Jimmy Graham goes out to pasture and Justin Fields is a baller. Maybe Justin Fields, this, here's a perfect example of a two QB, two tight end thing, and you can like even correlate it, right? I take Justin Fields and I stack him with Cole Komet. If they both hit their ceilings together, I don't want a third quarterback and a third tight end. Cole Komet catapults himself way up to uh, top tight ends, and Justin Fields catapults himself up towards the top of, of quarterbacks. Now I have a huge leg up on my competition because I spent very little draft capital on two of the highest scoring players at their position. Is that low probability? Yes. But we want to capitalize on those low probability outcomes and increase the payoff that we receive on those. Right? We know in general, like the early round guys are going to be good. Not even talking about quarterback and tight end, but it's like I stacked up a bunch of good players, right? I got Zeke and I got DeAndre Hopkins and I got whatever. Justin Jefferson. I got all these good players. Stacking that on top of when I when I hit on the uncomfortable guys, the payoff can be massive. If Trey Lance goes nuts, he has the old Old Kyle Shanahan throwback season to Robert Griffin III. He's the QB1. And this Anthony Ferkser example happens, right? Or this Cole Komet example happens. I take Trey Lance, Justin Fields. They're both starting week one. And Cole Komet is an elite tight end. It's just low probability outcome, but I'm playing in a contest with 150 plus thousand people. I need a low probability outcome to hit. In that case, you drafted a competitor of the elite tight ends in the 16th round, and you drafted later round quarterbacks, taking the additional late round picks that you have and piling it onto the other positions that allow you to then capitalize on more variance at those positions and stockpile quantity at those positions and leave your onesie positions quarterback and tight end to the spots that you have just crushed. You've crushed with guys who have outproduced their EDP. Whoever you think that that is, but the whole, it goes back to this drafting as if you're right thing and the value in only having two at each of those positions, if you're right about them is immense. It's huge, right? Because I can get more lottery tickets at the other positions. And I'm and I'm making the, a small parlay. That's all it really is. It's a small parlay, right? If I take 
Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Two, two leg parlay. I hit on those guys. In turn, that means Cole Komet hit and whatever. For, you know, and then I have the Ferkser thing. Okay, I have a small little mini parlay there. And now I just need that extra one or two lotto tickets at the end of a draft. And I probably don't, you know, you don't need every pick in an 18 round draft to hit. But if I hit on a couple of these guys and then I hit on that one, right? My guy, Darrington Evans. And he kind of correlates with Anthony Ferkser. So maybe this is a good example. I got lucky and stumbled upon one. If you ramble enough about the same nonsensical players, you'll stumble on good examples. But I, these rookie quarterbacks smash, right? We see the upside. That event comes true. Justin Fields and Trey Lance smash. Tr Justin Fields carries Cole Komet, right? Their, their ceilings are correlated. So that correlated event hit. There's one event you needed. Trey Lance hits. I'm going to argue that's a high probability event, but we'll see. Trey Lance hits, Justin Fields and Cole Komet's, you know, that event comes together. Then one, you need one more event. Derrick Henry goes down, right? Derrick Henry goes down. Now the Titans are pass heavier. Ferkser, Darrington Evans correlated. Because they're going to pat, you know, Darrington Evans obviously steps into a bigger role without Derrick Henry. They're going to throw more. Ferkser hits a ceiling. It's like three things happen for you. You're, you need these parlays to hit to win a million dollars. And so putting them together, now you just, you just built an all-star squad, right? And all you needed was a couple. Of, all you needed was Justin Fields. I don't even know what the probability of him being good is. It might be really high because he seems pretty good to me. Cole Komet was already earning work last year. What's the probability that he really becomes the guy there? He's the number two in that offense behind Allen Robinson. What's the probability of that? Seems possible to me. And then you, you, you get one lucky injury. So just a, you're just creating this parlay. And it's all based in how you set up your team at these two positions. Because the other positions, like you drafted a bunch of good running backs and wide receivers. Just hope you have the right combination. But it's based around this, the power and the payoff potential of two QB, two tight end builds. And I just think, as I, like I said, I've drafted more. Like I look back at some of my early teams with three quarterbacks or three tight ends, and I just think, I didn't draft like I was right. And I didn't, I'm not, I'm not going to get a huge payoff here. And I think that's what we should be focused on. A lot of variance is going to happen and we need to embrace it. We have to get uncomfortable. We're not going to be able to capitalize on it. We're not going to be able to find the huge payoff if we're not willing to get uncomfortable. And I think there's this natural idea that is just, Best ball is still so new. Everyone has said, oh, if you don't get, there's a, there's a tier break here. If you don't get that guy, you got to draft three at this position. And I just don't think that that's true, specific to these contests that we're talking about here, because it's not that line of thinking is not thinking about payoffs. What happens when a couple events swing my way? What's the payoff? Versus what's the payoff to taking that Austin Hooper or that Ben Roethlisberger or whatever. So 
that's something I've been I've been chewing on and I wanted to talk about here today. If you see me in the draft streets, I'll probably be taking teams that you don't feel comfortable. And maybe I don't feel comfortable. But I think some of these types of things are the keys, are really the keys to some of these big best ball contests. And it's also a way that we can get a little bit of leverage on the field with the field only taking pretty much only taking two quarterbacks when they get an elite guy or they're taking three and the same for tight ends. I think it's another way that we can, you know, pivot away zig when, when other people are zagging and maybe give ourselves a few more shots on goal at these big top prizes. But we'll be back, be back shortly. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. Tomorrow we're drafting. Thursday's draft day. Bringing on a special guest. Be announcing it a little bit later. Until then, we'll catch y'all later. We're out of here.